0: Warning. This content is for mature and open-minded individuals. While I won't place an age restriction, my writing tends to lean towards adult situations with potentially offensive language and sexual situations that some may find inappropriate. Discretion is advised. Interview with the killer. Daniel tapped his paper patiently as he waited had a deadline to keep and to be delayed because of a riot in the courtyard would not be a good enough excuse for his editor. The woman was a taskmaster that ruled her workforce with an iron fist. Taskmaster was perhaps the kindest term to which she had been referred. Her way of running a news site mostly involved driving her journalists into the ground. Four have already quit that year and it was only March. Carl was supposed to be the one who was in that room but after he quit she needed someone to take the story. He was the unlucky soul who was selected, and so it was her idea for him to sit in that chilly interview room so that he could speak with the serial killer. The room was poorly insulated, a breeze running over him. He didn't know if it was an actual breeze or if that the warden just pumped cold air through the vents. Regardless, he was cold and just wanted to go back home. Unfortunately, that would not be until he got his interview, so for the time being, he would sit in a large empty visiting area with only two doors on either end, both locked, and metal stools and tables that were bolted to the floor. When he passed the checkpoint, he was not allowed to bring anything except a legal pad and a pen. The question whether or not the pen should be allowed was considered, but the guard said that the inmate would be shackled the entire time. A guard would be posted outside the door, so if things did seem to be getting out of hand, Daniel could call for help. All in all, he was safe, but that did little to ease his nerves. The majority of his work was mostly interviewing politicians and even some celebrities. Mostly fluff stories to make them either appear as divine beings or ran them through the mud. Mostly, it was up to his editor to decide which direction. Basically, that was how the eMag that was published every day operated. What the editor said went. While this was not out of the ordinary for publications, she ruled with an iron fist. Now, Daniel didn't always have such waffling moral standards. However, it was difficult to have a successful career in journalism. With established bloggers everywhere and major publications moving to the internet, he was having trouble keeping steady footing in his career. He had already been laid off as a contributor to one magazine and was lucky to find the San Diego Chronicle. If not for his friend, he would have no doubt been overshadowed by others with more experience. The Chronicle was not always the gossip magazine it had become. The original editor, Mason West, was an old-school man who was actually looking for real stories about the city, the state, and the country. Real News once filled the pages of their magazine, and it even won some minor awards for journalistic integrity. Things changed when Mason tragically passed away, and the owner of the paper saw fit to replace him with a new, younger editor who only cared about selling editions and getting readers. Apparently, she learned early on that gossip sold better than news, so the format quickly changed from the same award-winning style to something more akin to Us Weekly. If it wasn't sensational, then there was no point to report. Sensationalism was the reason that Daniel was sitting in that chilly room waiting to speak to a man who was convicted of killing 17 people. His name was Kent Burke, but he was also referred to as the Stigmata Killer. The moniker was developed because of the way he tortured his victims before they died. According to the police, Kent would locate a victim, seemingly at random since there is no victimology to tie the victims together. He would hold them in a warehouse for a week, where he would then apply nails to their heads, tear holes to their wrists and feet, and then lash them with a hooked whip. In spite of this cruelty, it appeared that there was some method to the madness. First, it was the head, and the flaying of the back and lower torso. Then the hands would be pierced, and then the feet. They were able to trace the progression of injuries by the wounds of various victims. One had only head and whip injuries. Another had the two, and then one foot. Each of his victims appeared to be in different stages of torture before they died, so they were able to compare the injuries to see which one offered the killing blow. When interviewed why he chose to kill his victims in such a manner, he simply said because it was the funniest method of torture he had ever seen. Burke was originally a seminary student at St. Anthony's Seminary in Santa Barbara. From what the police learned, he was a well-liked and level-headed man. Portrayed as a devout Catholic, he wanted nothing more than to serve the Lord to the best of his abilities. According to the police, he did not exhibit any of the normal psychopathology that one would attribute to a serial killer, especially one so prolific. In fact, if it weren't for one of his friends turning him in, he would still be roaming the state looking for victims. The trial went about as well as it could. There was ample evidence to convict Burke since he did little to hide his presence at the murders. Fingerprints, fibers, and even sweat placed him at all of the crime scenes. He was definitely guilty, there is no doubt about that. But the true question regarding all of this was, was he insane? There was much debate regarding his mental status. While the prosecution laid out that the man was definitely ill, he should still be held accountable for his heinous crimes. The defense painted Burke as a haunted man, suffering from a myriad of disorders, and should be institutionalized rather than jailed. It was when Burke testified he pretty much gave the jury everything they needed to send him to prison for life. When asked, Burke said that his only regret was not killing more people. It was with his own words that his fate was sealed. Burke was convicted and sentenced to 17 life sentences to be served consecutively in prison with no possibility of parole. When the verdict was announced, Burke only laughed and he was escorted out of the courtroom immediately as his laughter was upsetting basically everyone. However, there was one strange thing that had been reported by those in the room. The laughter seemed to linger even though he was gone. Now, that should have been the end of his story. However, something peculiar happened since his incarceration. Burke was sentenced to prison in 1999 and was in prison for well over a decade. Daniel has seen photos of inmates from the moment they enter to the moment they are either released or died. Like those in active military, you appear to age at a different rate. While they get older year after year, features harden and become more pronounced. Hair goes gray, creases become more prominent. A man who was only 19 could appear in his late 20s by the end of his tour. Prison was no different. What was different was Kent Burke. Daniel had examined photos of Burke during his trial and again from the most recent photos taken by the San Diego County Department of Corrections and was stunned. The man in the photo looked exactly the same. He even supported the same haircut. Now, he heard about people aging well, but there was something entirely different. His reemergence into the media was completely unintentional. He was a small topic on a cable program that looked at the most prolific serial killers in the country, and he happened to be one of them. That was when people noticed that he had not appeared to age a day. When his editor saw this, Daniel was whisked away to the hotel with a striped sunlight, courtesy of the Department of Corrections. He had been waiting for over an hour when finally there was a loud buzz from the door opposite him. Hearing it, Daniel felt his heart leap as he was taken by surprise. After the buzzer, there was a pause before the door slid open, revealing a young man in an orange jumpsuit. His hair was parted to the left, a smile on his face. He looked as he did in the photos, as he looked just over a decade ago. Escorted by a corrections officer, he was taken to the same table as Daniel, who kept the pen and paper close to himself. Burke stared at him and smiled as he took his seat. The gesture that was supposed to be pleasant sent a shiver through his entire body. Daniel offered his own smile, but lacked any real sincerity. Placing his hands on the table, the chains rattling against the cold steel, he laced his fingers together. What a lovely day, don't you think? Burke asked. Danny was slightly puzzled by this comment since there were no windows in the room and he knew for a fact it was pouring rain outside. The light rumble of thunder could be heard overhead as was the heavy pattering of water against the roof. How are you doing today, Mr. Burke? Burke instantly waved his hand, gesturing the comment away. Please, call me Kent. Or Burke. <laughs> From the previous recordings he heard of Burke before the murders, he was an even-toned man. One could hear sincerity in his voice as he spoke. But this version was remarkably different. His voice was low, raspy, far removed from the man who everyone knew before the murders. Well, Kent. He started, but Burke cut him off. Mr. Daniel Goldstein from the San Diego Chronicle, he said as his smile widened. Um, yes, that's right, Daniel said, slightly confused. He assumed that someone in the prison told him who he was meeting. I'm here to ask you some questions about, well... Your life before you came here and how it is now. Burke took a moment to consider this. Like a mathematician pondering a formula, Daniel could see the gears turning and couldn't help but wonder what the man was thinking. After all, it was merely a request for an interview. If he said no, then that was it. If he said yes, then they would proceed. He was in no way able to make deals, so if a laundry list of demands were provided, then he would have to go back to his editor and endure whatever punishment may await. After several more moments, Burke nodded. All right he said cheerily. Daniel nodded at the gar who shot Burke a distasteful glance before returning to the door they entered from. There was a buzz, the door stood open allowing him to leave, and then it closed behind him. Kent, can you please tell me what your life was like before... Daniel started, but Burke cut him off once more with his own rhetoric. Before my murder spree? he asked. Well, there's not much to say. As you know, I was the son of a very religious family. My loving mom and loving dad never laid a hand on me. "'Raised Catholic,' he said with a labored pause. "'I did the old kneel and bow, kneel and bow, "'day in and day out all my life.' "'Is that why you appear to have such disdain for the church?' "'Daniel asked. "'Burke laughed. (laughs) (laughs) "'Now you're getting ahead of me,' he said with a wag of his fingers. "'If you want to know me, you will need to know my story.' "'Forgive me. "'Continue.' Daniel said, taking notes as Burke spoke. The real story started back during my time at the seminary. <laughs> you see, I was somewhat curious about the whole passion thing, so I had taken my trip to Jerusalem to get a better understanding of what our Savior went through. As he spoke, Burke made the sign of the cross, but Daniel noticed that he started with his heart and then touched his head. While Daniel was not religious himself, claiming pure atheism, he was aware of the gesture and how it seemed backwards. And what did you learn? Daniel asked. It's more of what I found. You see, man was not the only one present for Christ's crucifixion. After all, it was a spectacle to behold. Many of us were there to watch and laugh as he suffered unspeakable torment. Hearing this, Daniel paused. Something struck him as strange with the last comment. It was so bizarre that he could not help but inquire further. Wait, what do you mean by us? Daniel asked. Are there priests or seminary students? Burke's smile widened. Do you know what I love about people? He asked, the smile never fading. It reminded Daniel of the Joker, whose face was permanently frozen with a smile. You are so gullible. What do you mean? Daniel asked, setting his pen down. His stomach roiled as he sensed something was off about the entire interview. The entire day, actually. The day was unseasonably cold, the weather strangely violent. He had felt uncomfortable since the moment he stepped into that prison. There was a heaviness in the air that seemed to grow only more dense as Burke spoke. You tell someone something that they want to believe, and they'll do whatever you want without thinking of the consequences, Burke said. There's some irony in there, but I haven't quite figured that one out. What do you mean? Do you really think a seminary student without any hint of illness or violent tendency would suddenly turn serial killer at a moment's notice? Burke asked. He lowered his hands beneath the table, leaning as close as he could. The answer is no, he whispered and smiled, but the smile seemed too wide, like a shark or an animal ready to bite. Daniel felt his stomach roll even more violently, and for a moment he thought he would throw up. He wanted to go, to be done with all of this. Damn Burke, damn his editor. He would take any punishment that was doled out to him as long as he could get out of that room. Before Daniel could say anything, another question or cry out for the guard, there was a deafening crack as the lights flickered and then went out. Daniel's heart sank as he stood in utter blackness. The sounds of cheers and cries echoed from all of the prison. It was impossible to tell where they were coming from, but he knew it was everywhere. In the shadows, he felt as if a thousand eyes were upon him, studying him. He couldn't move. Breathe, for if he did, a thousand hands would snatch him up and tear him apart. The darkness lasted only a moment, much to Daniel's overwhelming joy. When the emergency lights sprang to life, they offered a dim, pale tint of the room. As the lights returned, Daniel's eyes fell upon Burke sitting in his seat. However, in that light, Daniel thought that the man's eyes had turned black as ink. He blinked for a second, and the next time he looked at Burke, his eyes were back to normal. I love the sounds of screams... Burke said, leaning back and taking in the cries of his fellow inmates. Daniel didn't want to waste any more time with this man. He had never been in war zones or battlegrounds, chasing the dragons of destruction as they raged across countries he couldn't spell. The adrenaline was not welcome, the fear despised. He simply wanted to go home, away from all of this. He ran for the door, pounding on it as he screamed for the guards, but there was no buzz of the door and no guard in sight. Guards! They can't hear you, Burke said. They're busy with the other meat sacks. You're stuck in here with me. They'll be back. And they'll let me out, and you'll be back in your cell. Yeah, Daniel told Burke. <laughs> what, what? What's so funny? Ew, Burke replied. You really think they're coming to save you when they have an entire building full of convicts who are now running amok in the prison? What? What makes... Daniel started, but Burke cut him off. ''I unlocked the door so we could have our private time together,'' he told him. Before Daniel could argue, he heard a klaxon as well as screams and shouts from both inmates and guards. Outside that door, it sounded like a war was raging, and yet he felt he would be safer on the other side. ''What's going on?'' Daniel asked, terrified. ''I need someone here to help me end my misery,'' Burke said. ''What?'' Daniel asked, his panic growing worse. His sense of logic was quickly escaping him, and so he struggled to find any sensible answers. I suppose if I'm about to kill you, I should probably be honest with you, Burke said. Daniel's stomach dropped as Burke spoke of murder and spoke it with such ease. How was Burke going to murder him when he was still shackled? In truth, the name isn't Burke. It's Torqueo. I've been in this world for a millennia, torturing and destroying lives and souls as I see fit, Burke said. What are you talking about? Daniel asked, but as Burke smiled, Daniel watched the man's eyes change from brown to black, the sclera darkening to ebony ink. I stumbled upon young Burke during his trip. He was so devout that I knew I would have so much fun destroying him from the inside out. You see, Mr. Burke is still very much alive. And aware of what I'm doing. He has to be. It's the only way I'm still here. I told him I was an angel. And if he let me in, I would show him the true meaning of life and creation. Blah, blah, blah. Of course, the second I was in, he knew I lied and couldn't get rid of me. Of course, this led to a problem. After I had my fun and was about to leave him to suffer your justice, he decided to hold on to me. He was a bit more tenacious than I anticipated. Strong, too. I guess he decided if he was going down, I was going down with him. So I've been stuck here ever since. Daniel was in all of this, struggling to understand everything that he was witnessing and what he was told. He pressed himself against the wall, hoping to keep his distance from Burke, but Burke had no inclination of doing that. As he stood, there was a the sound of metal clinking, and all at once his shackles fell to the floor. He stepped around the table completely free. You see, I just can't kill myself. It's kind of a rule for my, well, kind. In order to leave, we can either slip out on our own, or the bodies have to expire on their own accord by the actions of another. That's the thing about possession. There are rules, and there's no way around it. So since I can't get out, I need someone to kill this body. Which would then sever the Burke's connection with me, and we can go our separate ways. The thing called Torqueo said, And you expect me to kill you? Daniel asked. The thing shook its head. No, I expect the guards to do that after I'm done slaughtering you. <laughs> you are simply a means to an end. As Burke approached with no signs of the guards, Daniel knew with no doubt that he was definitely going to miss his deadline. The irony of it was that even if he missed it, he was still going to be front page material. Jolanta Blues by Dozent Zygmunt, copyright 2015, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License 3.0. Night in the Forest Blues by Cormie, copyright 2015, licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 license. Epic Piano Theme by Jonathan A., under Creative Commons License 3.0. Sound effects from Freesound, under Public Domain License, and from Bone666138. Creative Commons License 3.0